glad that you're here. Welcome to Element City Church. It's awesome to worship together. And we're going to continue now just kind of looking into God's Word a little bit. And so if you have your phone, you can actually open up the app called YouVersion. It has a little thing that you click on that says events. If you search Element City Church, you can find all the notes for tonight. The scripture passages we'll look at. Otherwise, take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 28 if you have them with you. And we'll see them on the screens. We'll kind of go along. And as we continue kind of in this attitude of worship, we want to spend a little bit of time this week and next week looking at going back to kind of what is the main thing as a church and, and as people of God, people who are pursuing after Jesus, what's some of the main things that Jesus said, this is kind of the biggest deal. This is what I want you to kind of keep the main thing, that often when you start a new year, you, you think about all the distractions of the last year, you think about all the things that kind of captured your attention, things that kind of got you sideways maybe a little bit, and you, and you think, okay, it's a new year, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to keep the main thing the main thing, right? And you think about, okay, here's what I'm gonna focus on, here's what we're gonna focus on. It's important for a church, and it's important for uh, the church uh, of Christ to kind of keep the main thing the main thing. In fact, I want you to think about the importance of this, going back to maybe when you were in middle school or high school, how many of you played a sport in middle middle school or high school, right? Okay, that's several of you. How many of you uh, did like drama or you were in a singing club? You did some kind of club that you're a part of, okay? So here's what I want you to do. Turn to your neighborhood, two, three people right around you, and I want you to share, okay, what sport did you do? What club were you in? Were you a singer? Were you in drama? Uh, share kind of what that was, what grade you were in when you did that. Ready? Go. You have 30 seconds. Go. Maybe you're in sports now. All right, maybe some of you were multiple sport athletes and you are the studs and the studettes of the room and uh, it's, it's amazing what you did. Maybe uh, you're sitting here and you're like, well, I, I was in band. Hey, you, you had a teacher with that that's important and that matters and, and there's different things. Wherever you were, here's what probably happened at some point. You had a coach, you had a teacher, you had an instructor that was over that club or over that group, over that sport, who at some point was probably teaching you more advanced things and then at some point in the midst of the practice, some point in the midst of the endeavor, the, the schedule, whatever it was, said, stop, 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 stop. <sighs> And you heard that sigh, right? And from the coach, you were like, oh, that's never good when coach sighs, right? And they were like, all right, let's go back to the basics, right? And they would take you back to the basics. They would take you back to the very basic drill. Maybe it was football, maybe it was volleyball, soccer, whatever it may be. Maybe it was in band. They're like, okay, we're going to go back to scales. Maybe in drama, you're going to practice how to yell. I don't know what you did in drama. I wasn't in drama. But um, whatever it may be, you probably had an exercise where they said, we're going to go back to the basics. There's something about the basics that they wanted to kind of get rote and wanted to keep in front of you that you would never fade away. Because what we know from good coaching and from even from professional sports, from a sports angle, we know, okay, those who are able to do the basics the best have the, the biggest impact often. That it's not sometimes the, the complex things, it's the simple things, the thinkful, things that are kind of the main deal that we should stay focused on. And so when we look at this from a, from a church perspective, and maybe you're new to church. In fact, maybe you started off 2017. Someone invited you to come here, and I think it's awesome that you're here. I think it's awesome that you're owning your spiritual journey, no matter where you are in that. Maybe you're investigating this whole idea of church stuff and church things, and I, I think that's awesome. 
And we want to be a place where you can investigate that, where you don't have to be part of the convinced in order to belong. And you don't have to be part of the people who like say, hey, I believe everything about it. Maybe you've got questions and doubts and struggles and that's okay. In fact, we want to be, this, uh, to be a place where you can investigate that a little bit. And what you're gonna look at this week and next week is some of those, it'd be like Jesus calling a timeout and like blowing the whistle and going, oh, okay. Let's run the basic drills again. Let's go back to the basics. And in essence, what we're gonna look at this week and next is that timeout moment, that, that whistle where Jesus says, hey, here's the things that really matter most. Here's the main thing, and I want you to keep the main thing the main thing. And don't, don't take secondary things and make them the main thing because they're not, they're secondary. That's why they're secondary. And so here's the main things we want you to focus on. So in that, the church really has two great um, challenges, invitations, uh, opportunities that Jesus highlights that we see. There's lots of things that Jesus shares about, lots of things that we could be about, but as a church, as a movement of Jesus, since Jesus is the one that started it, he talks about these things, and, and you've maybe heard them labeled uh, the Great Commission, and what? The Great, anyone? The Great Commandment. Okay, so maybe you've heard that phrase. Maybe you don't even know where it comes from or anything. The Great Commission and the Great Commandment. And tonight, I want to look at the Great Commission. Next week, we'll look at the Great Commandment of what that kind of lays out from a scripture point of view and from what Jesus is uh, diving into and digging into for us and what that means to our life today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can go to the Great Commission. This is at the end of Jesus's ministry. This is post-resurrection, Okay. So Jesus has come, he's lived his life, he's taught, he's died on your behalf, my behalf, for the forgiveness of our sins, and he's resurrected. And now this is the moment where he's coming to his followers. He spent about 40 days uh, with his followers after the resurrection, before he ascended back to heaven. And he has a statement that he's gonna give to them. This is found in Matthew chapter 28, elsewhere. But Matthew 28, here's what it says. Then Jesus came to them. So he's speaking to his followers, those who are following after him, those who are kind of aligned their life with him. And they figured out, okay, this guy came back from the dead. Like, I've never seen that. That's a big deal. I'm going to listen to what he says. Here's what he says. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So like how much authority? Okay, that's quite a bit, right? Um, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go... There's a, there's a verb here, you're to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very ends of the age. And surely I am with you to the very ends of the age. What's fascinating about the Gospel of Matthew, these are some of the last words that the gospel writer Matthew records in his account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The account that he's making a witness and saying, I'm writing this down, he wrote mostly to a Jewish audience to convince them that Jesus was really the Messiah, he was the one they were been waiting for, and he was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament, found its place in Jesus and who he was and what he said and what he did and what he accomplished in and through the cross and the resurrection. So Matthew's writing these words. It's the very last words. Do you remember how Matthew starts? It's fascinating. 
Matthew starts in chapter one. It's the Christmas story. It's the account of, of Joseph's line, and it comes to the place, and he says, you're gonna call this one that's gonna be born Emmanuel. What's Emmanuel mean? God with us, right? Emmanuel means God with us. Not God against us, but God with us. And so the very first chapter of Matthew starts with God's with you. Friends, God's with you in what you face in life. Then in Matthew 18, you fast forward a little bit and Jesus is teaching and he goes into this conversation that he has where he says, look, wherever two or three of you are gathered, I'm there. I want you to know my presence is with you. It's there. And then we get to the very last chapter, the very last words of the Gospel of Matthew and he like an expert writer, records what this theme is that he's been building throughout the whole entire book. As you go, Jesus says, I am with you to the very ends of the age. This isn't Jesus giving like a, a halftime pep talk and then he's gonna go sit in the skybox. Okay, and, and that's often what we feel sometimes is, okay, Jesus ascends back to heaven, he's gone to the skybox, and we're down on the field and we're playing, and uh, we, there's no communication lines, we, there's no one has a headset, and so we don't know how and, and what, and, and the reality is Jesus is laying out this, this great endeavor to say, look, I'm, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. I, I'm, not just giving, <clears throat> I'm not just giving a statement here and then leaving and telling you good luck and patting you on the back and say, hope you could do it. Because that's what a coach does in some ways. But Jesus is way more than a coach. And what he's saying here all throughout the Gospel of Matthew and in this particular moment is as you go, I'm gonna be with you. And how much authority and power do I have? All of it. In fact, I've got all the power and authority has been given to me, and I'm now telling you to go and make a difference in this world. You go and make disciples. What's a disciple? And oftentimes in church, we can think about, okay, what does that mean? So as a church, do we go and we try to get people to pray a prayer to receive Jesus? Okay, is that important? Well, yeah. Uh, the funny thing is you'll actually never read a salvation prayer in the Bible you won't find it in there. What you will find is people coming to a place where they have a decision moment, where they say, you know what, I'm tired of living life my way. I'm gonna actually trust in what Jesus says and what he did and what he accomplished on the cross and his resurrection as payment for my sin and that now I can have life with God by trusting him. That's what salvation, that's what the gospel means in the simplest way I can put it of what the scriptures say. We often sometimes as a church want to have people pray a prayer to receive Christ. And there's nothing wrong with that. The reality is it's just that person making a decision in that moment to say, I'm not banking on how I live. I'm banking on how Jesus lived. And I'm kind of going all eggs in on his basket and what he did for me. That's salvation. And what he's saying here is you go make disciples. Meaning, don't go get people just to pray a prayer. That's nice, and it's eternity changing. But the truth is, so often we can treat salvation, and that's a big Bible word, but we can treat that as like this Willy Wonka golden ticket that gets me to heaven. 
I prayed the prayer, I, I received Jesus, I, I said yes to Jesus, and listen, that's an awesome thing. But it's way more than just a Willy Wonka golden ticket that gets you to heaven. This is about having life with God now and about life with God on into eternity. This is about, this is about Emmanuel, God with you now and on into everything else you face. You get to live life with him. And so this invitation to go make disciples, you gotta think of a disciple as someone much more like a, a learner or, or an apprentice for you business-minded, okay? If you're looking to have an apprentice with you, you're, you're wanting that person to be more than just someone who kinda tags along as an assistant. You're wanting them to learn how you do things and to begin to react the way you do. This person is not just saved, but they become a learner. They become an apprentice of living and doing business the way you do business for a business person. As a teacher, as teacher assistant, or maybe uh, you're going through the program to become a teacher and you have to be, uh, go and, and do your class with someone else and you're learning, you're wanting to become more and more like that teacher. That's what this is saying. Go and make disciples. Make apprentices of Jesus that people would begin to align their life so much so that they become more and more like him. That's why spiritual growth is way more than just how many Bible verses do you know? Or, okay, can you, can you quote Psalm 51? Or can you just do the right things? Because I can be a person who does the right things, but it doesn't mean my heart is actually becoming more and more like the one I'm apprenticing. It just means I have the ability to do something. That's where this becomes highly relational. Apprenticing is, is very relational in how we do this and how we become. That's why spiritual growth is much more measured, I think, over a course of a year. Maybe the better question for spiritual growth is, am I, am I more like Jesus today than I was this year last time? Am I more like Jesus today in how I react and how I interact and how I think, my worldview, how I see things? than I was three years ago. That maybe that's the better question to be asking as we dive in and try to become a person who is a disciple. You go and disciple all nations. Ethne is the Greek word here for nation. It's, and it's not, often we think of nations in a political term, okay? So here's the nation, here's the borderline of this nation and this nation, here's the separation of it. Ethne is where we get the, uh, our word ethnic, okay? So from every people group, every racial group, every uh, language group, you go into all of these groups, to these people groups. That's why Christianity, in essence, should be the most inclusive religion, if you want to put a word to it, though we know it's a relationship, not a religion. It, it's, it's the most inclusive. It's the most all-access, because it crosses every line and that Jesus is a savior for all people. And what he's saying to his church, to his followers, to those who gather in his name, what he's saying to you, what he's saying to me, is you go, and as you go, you make disciples. You teach them, you baptize them, you teach them to obey, you help them apprentice me. And you do that as you go, that you don't stay put, that you don't just hang out with other Christians who believe like you do. You, you actually go and you utilize your influence to be able to point people to the one that you're apprenticing, 
to the one that you're following. You don't just settle to audit Jesus. You know what you do when you audit a class? You show up to the class, right? And you try to get the information, but you never have to do any homework and you never have to take any tests. I wonder sometimes if there's a lot of Christians in our world who like to audit Jesus. I just want the information about Jesus. He's a cool dude. He's nice. When I'm in a jam, I'm going to call to him. But to be a disciple of Jesus means you, you're all in. You don't just try to audit and get the information. It, it's changing. You're actually having this become, you're a learner. You're apprenticing with him. And as you seek to do this, you're going to take this as a message. You and I are wrapped into a much, much bigger story than just the story of your life or the story that you can create. We're, we're wrapped into the story of Jesus and what he's been doing from the creation of the world until now. And he's calling us to be a people who go, a people who seek to live in this greater story. It's what Paul writes to, the early, to this young pastor uh, named Timothy. In 1 Timothy, he says this, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf. This is good and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand this truth, speaking of the truth of Jesus. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, this man, Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase the freedom of everyone. This is the message God gave us, gave to the world at just the right time. Your life and my life is to be a walking, living billboard, pointing people to the Jesus who has saved us, who has redeemed us, who is renewing us and remaking us. That, that's what it means to go and make disciples. It means that your life, my life, we're a walking, living billboard that, that takes the message of Jesus everywhere we go. And it doesn't, it doesn't put it on a shelf in some areas and say, well, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna put Jesus on the shelf because I wouldn't want him to see this. It's this idea of I'm gonna, I'm gonna take him wherever I go, which causes us to think about where we're going and think about what we're doing and thinking about what we're seeing. It's a challenge and it's not easy. That's why you don't wanna just audit Jesus. You want to apprentice with him. So are you growing? Can, can 2017 be a year of growth for you where you're able to look back at the beginning of 20, uh, of this next year and be able to look back and to see this growth of being a learner of Jesus. And as we go, we're sharing this Jesus story. We share it in how we live and how we interact and how we react with people. We're sharing it in story as well, in words. Saying, hey, you know, the reason I'm a little bit different maybe, the reason I'm maybe more generous in this way than what you're used to, and maybe it catches you off guard. The, the reason I maybe practice forgiveness a little bit easier than this is it's not because it's easy. It's because I'm apprenticing this one who's forgiven me so much. And as I look at his life and I look at his teachings, he just teaches me to forgive. And man, I tell you, it's not easy sometimes, but I'm just choosing to apprentice and to kind of line my life with this Jesus more and more, that as I go and as you go, we're to be this walking, living billboard to point people to Jesus. I love what the theologian Martin Luther said this, it wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times if no one ever heard about it. 
Think about that. It wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times for the forgiveness of sins and that people could have life with God through faith in him if no one ever heard about it. And what Jesus is saying to his early followers in this moment is what keep the main thing the main thing. And that is, it's about me, is what Jesus is saying. It's not about you. There's good things about you, and you're awesome, and I'm with you, and that's great, but you're part of a bigger story now. As a follower of me, you've been enfolded into this much greater, grander story. And I want you to be a person who lives this out in a way that other people can see me in practical, tangible ways, that other people can begin to hear about my story of love and grace for them, the fact that I even know them and that I'm even pursuing a relationship with them. I want them to know that. And the only way they're gonna know that is if you go and you make disciples and as you go, you're just living your life in a way that's challenging and calling people to come forward. And so as you go, you you make this invitation. Our passion as a church is inviting people into a life-giving, life-changing relationship with Jesus. That's what we're about. And we want that for every one of your friends and every one of your family, every one of your coworkers, everyone that you're associated with on sports teams or in clubs that you do or activities that you're a part of. We want that for them to, them to know that Jesus actually knows their name and he actually cares about them and wants a relationship with them. Now, that may be really challenging at times, but here's what we know. The best invitations are relational in nature, right? What parties do you go to? Is it a random party invite that comes to you at your house from a postcard written from someone that you don't know and just says, hey, party, TCC, blah, 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 blah. A wedding invite. The most... the most and best invitations that you show up to have a relationship connection to it, doesn't it? We all know that, duh, okay? Well, the same thing spiritually. That as you are growing in your relationship with Jesus, the best people to share that with, is here's a wild guess, maybe the people you're related to or connected with in some kind of relationship that in the midst of those conversations, normal everyday conversations, that as God steers the conversation about spiritual things, that you can actually speak about spiritual things. And you can speak about your story, what God's doing in your life, and bring that up, that those are the best invitations, that people would see you and and begin to see things at work. What I love um, in John chapter one, if you have your Bibles, you can go there. In John chapter 1, we see this all throughout the scripture. But in John chapter 1, we see this, uh, this interaction going on. As Jesus is beginning to kind of start his ministry, he's bumping into people, and he calls people to come follow him. That's why this idea of apprenticeship is come follow me, Jesus said. That was his invitation. Come follow me. Highly relational, a lot of activity. This wasn't just, hey, come know about me. Hey, just you know, know some facts about me. Look me up on Google. This is this idea of, hey, you come follow me. Apprentice me and how I live life and how I speak about life and how I see life. 
And this interesting conversation goes on with uh, Philip and Nathaniel. Here's uh, verse 43. It says, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said, hey, you come follow me. So he calls Philip. And Philip's like, hey, there's something about this guy, Jesus. And, and, and I know some of you, you read this and you're thinking, okay, Jesus is like a Jedi because he just walks up to people and he's like, hey, come follow me. And they just leave everything and they go follow him. And, and, and I don't know if he was, I don't know. But people left because rabbis had great power and a great influence. And there was something about Jesus that Philip wanted to follow. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, going on verse 44, were from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael, a friend of his, and he told him, hey, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets had also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And Nathanael's response is this, Nazareth? <laughs> Can anything good come from there? I mean, seriously, that's what, you found some dude from Nazareth? I mean, do you know where Nazareth is? Do you know the reputation of that town? There's, there's nothing good that can come from that. And Philip, with his great debate, says this to him. Come and see. That's all he's got. Just come and see. Um, Hey, Nathaniel, I know you got these doubts. I know you got these questions. And I could sit here and argue with you, and I could give you a debate, but I actually just want to create a dialogue with you. And so just come and see for yourself. Here's what he's doing in my life. Here's how he's changing the way I see things. Why don't you just come and see for yourself? And here's what we know. Relational invitations focus best and most on a come and see approach. Because it's about creating a dialogue, not a debate. For some of us, I know uh, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time and you think, well, what if I talk about spiritual things and they ask about dinosaurs? I don't know. I don't know how you know, old the earth is. What if they ask about all these things? And I wanna say, great questions. I still got questions. You don't have to answer every question because you still have questions, don't you? And if you still have questions, it's okay to have questions then. Isn't it fascinating that the Gospel of John, just like Matthew, creative in writing, the Gospel of John starts in chapter one with a guy questioning Jesus. Is he really the guy we've been looking for? Is he really what the Old Testament is really pointing to? I've got serious doubts. Nazareth, are you kidding me? There's no way this is the guy. And Philip says to Nathaniel, you just come and see. How does the Gospel of John end? The resurrection has happened. Disciples are in that room. Jesus has appeared. One of them wasn't there. We call him Doubting Thomas. You've heard of him, I see. And Doubting Thomas is going, there's no way! This didn't happen. And what does Jesus do? Shows up again for Thomas. And he meets him in his moment of doubt. He meets him in the moment of his questions. Listen, Jesus is not scared of questions. He is not thrown off guard by people's doubts or struggles with him or with religion or Christianity. It's not like something is gonna spook him and be like, whoa, never thought of that before. Our challenge, our invitation is to go 
and make disciples, which part of this is inviting people a little bit closer to Jesus. Is our job to answer every question? No, because you still have questions. For a lot of us in this room, we've had a majority of questions answered, and Jesus really is who he says he is. And we've become convinced. That doesn't mean every question is gone. For some of you in this room, this idea of maybe you're more like Nathaniel. Uh, <laughs> this Jesus guy, you know, I've heard a lot about him. I've met a lot of the people that follow him, and they're jerks. And I don't know if I agree with all that. And I don't know if I like that. Fair. Some of the followers of Jesus that I know are jerks. Jesus is still working on them. They're still a work in progress. So are you. And, and this invitation real simply is, okay, what if in a relational way I can just begin to use my life, my actions, my words, my conversations, just to invite people closer to investigate. See, relational invitations create room for investigation. And that's what you needed, it's what I needed, and it's what your friends need as well. Room to investigate on their own, to think about who Jesus is and what he's about and what he comes to offer. See, Nathaniel shows up and he has his own encounter. You can read on in John chapter one. And Nathaniel becomes convinced and becomes a disciple, a follower, an apprentice of Jesus, one of the original, because he got his questions answered. And I'm convinced for you, maybe you're Nathaniel in this room right now. And you've got hesitations, you've got struggles. That's okay. God's not closed off to you because of those struggles or questions. My question to you is, Will you please not close off God from you because of those questions or struggles? Will you leave room for him to meet you in that investigation? Will you just allow him some space? Keep coming, keep reading, keep thinking, and let him meet you just like he did for Thomas and just like he did for Nathaniel. And he, on your time schedule, and he and you, can work this thing out as you just kind of keep aiming in his direction. <clears throat> here's the principle to take away for tonight. All throughout the scripture, here's what you see real simple and real basic. Found people, find people. As a follower of Jesus, if he has found you and changed your life and your faith is based on who he is and what he says and what he did, and he's changed your life, you are a found one. And here's what I know about found people. They turn around and find people. Listen, you are not Jesus. You're not gonna save anyone. Thank goodness. That's not your role. But here is your role. You're to go. And you're to make disciples. And you're to meet people where they're at. And you're to invite them a little bit closer to the one that you're following, to the one that you're apprenticing your life after. That's your role. And that means you live about it and you don't just try to audit Jesus. You actually live this out and you wrestle with that and you figure it out day by day, month by month, year by year that you're taking steps. And when you fall backwards, you get back up and you keep going because you will fall backwards. I do too. And you get back up and you keep going in this faith journey. And you keep inviting people to the one 
that's changing you. Can I just read to you a little bit of how the gospel moved forward in history? If it helps you to close your eyes uh, and just think about this. See, Jesus said in John chapter six, no one will come to the Father unless, uh, and no one comes to God unless the Father draws him. That God's already at work behind the scenes of the people that you love, the people that you care about. In Jerusalem, in 30 AD, Jesus died on a cross and he resurrected on the third day and he ascended to heaven and 50 days later, the Holy Spirit came. Jesus sent, said, I'm gonna send a helper to you. And it changed everything. And as the Holy Spirit came, began to move in this movement called church that Jesus established, it began to grow. And just a year into it, there's 5,000 people that are following Jesus right there in Jerusalem. In 31 AD, Stephen stands up, gives this powerful sermon that people hate, and they pick up stones and they kill him. He becomes the first martyr for standing up for Jesus. In 34 AD, on a little road to Damascus, Jesus appears to Paul, to Saul then, changes his name to Paul, and his journey begins as he begins taking this uh, out and, and beginning to go out to different places. In 44 AD, King Herod executes the apostle James. James is the leader of the Jerusalem church. James is also the brother of Jesus. Think about that. The leader of the church is the brother of Jesus who had become convinced that Jesus really was the Messiah. Who's the hardest person to convince that you're really important? Your brother, right? But if James, who history kind of tells us potentially, was taken up to the top of the temple and said, if you do not recount that Jesus is the Messiah, you will be thrown off this temple and you will die. And James said, then to death we go. He became convinced. Why? Because Jesus was persuasive? No, because Jesus came back from the dead. That's the only way he got persuaded. My brother came back from the dead. Nobody does that. I'm convinced. And James gets executed. Herod also throws Peter in jail, but an angel rescues Peter. And he continues to work in the church. He becomes arrested there, sent out, and persecution breaks out. And suddenly Jerusalem, the hub, now the Christians are scattered. They have to move on to Antioch. The Apostle Paul begins traveling around Galatia and Ephesians and Greece and finally to Rome where he's beheaded for his faith, but he doesn't recount. In 80 AD, Christianity spreads to France and 20 years later, Christians are reported in Algeria and Sri Lanka and by 150 AD, the gospel has reached to Portugal and Morocco. Christianity finds its way to Austria in 174 AD, followed by Switzerland and Belgium. And in 328, the gospel reaches Ethiopia. And 200 years later, the Pope sends Augustine with a group of missionaries to England and says, you go there in the first year, 10,000 people are baptized. In 635, the first Christian missionaries arrive in China. By the year 1200, the Bible's available in 22 different languages. And in 1491, Missionaries arrived in African Congo a few years later in Kenya. Meanwhile, in Spain, the Pope sends Catholic priests on with Columbus in his second trip to Americas. Francisco Juan Padilla in 1531 starts his mission work in Mexico City. And in 550, John Calvin sends this French Protestants to reach the people of Brazil. In 640, the Jesuit ministries reach the Caribbean. 
you know, early 1700s saw the rise of the Great Awakening in the Americans with both uh, George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards kind of stirring revivals here in our land and eventually it made its way to your city, to your family, to your church. We are a part of a very long line of people who took Jesus' words seriously. And they didn't just gather. That's not the church. This, we're the people of the church. But the church isn't about just gathering. The church is about scattering, to go and to be the church. So when we show up to do a feeding next Saturday, 9 a.m. if you want to volunteer, you know what we're doing? We're going. We're, we're doing what Jesus said. When we show up to tutor, when we show up to e-groups and we invite people along, when we show up to different mission work that we do, when we go to Ecuador, when we figure out ways to go in your neck of the woods where you are with the people that cross your path as you go, because in just a few moments, we're gonna wrap up with worship and send you out. And guess what? We're sending you out to go and to be the church. That's the main thing. And Jesus is driving this home. Keep the main thing, the main thing. So here's the question, the takeaway for you. Found people, find people. So who this year, if you were with us last week, we talked about the one life card, that you have one life, you get one chance to continue this message of Jesus, to send it out, to pat, kind of pay it forward, to, to move it forward, to be a part of this mission. So who this year in 2017, is God calling you to go and to be a part of praying, investing in a relationship with them, inviting them a little bit closer to Jesus? Maybe that's just inviting them in conversations that you have. Maybe that's inviting them here. Maybe that's inviting them to serve with you some capacities and opportunities that we have. We have a serve day coming up on February 5th where we're gonna actually work at Caring Ministries, kind of detailing trucks, restoring everything, getting things. We have such a great kind of blossoming partnership with them and the impact it can have in Midtown Tucson that we're gonna put our energies into helping get them ready to, in order for us to be used, useful and to take that out and to give more and more food away to help real people in real tangible ways. So as we do that, the invitation for you is real simply, who's God calling you to go to this year? And as we remember in communion, we remember that Jesus went. He didn't stay in heaven and write a nicely worded letter and send it to us. Hey, I'm up here in the skybox. Here's how you get to me. What do you do? He left. He went. And he went for you. And if, even if you were the only person on the planet, he'd still come for you. He loves you. And so as we take communion, maybe you want to think about that, think about the reality that Jesus did that for you. And then his life and his death and his resurrection that we remember, we take that bread, we take that cup, and we remember his body broken, his blood spilt on your behalf for you to rescue you. And now he's enlisted you and folded you into his story to now be a part of taking his story, his grace, his hope to the people that you care about and inviting them to come a little bit closer in 2017. So as we take this 
communion in a minute. I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna sing a, a new song that I, I hope that you lean into with all your heart. I'll give a couple closing thoughts and, and then we'll close with one song. Um, but as we take communion, Father, we want to be a people that, uh, that go, that aren't satisfied with just coming and gathering, but we're scattering to be the church. We wanna be a people who continue to live out your promise to always be with us, to know that even when we go, your promise that you're with us there. When we gather as two or three, your promise is that you're there. That it isn't just about worship and we get to experience you. It's about when we go, we get to experience you as well. So would you make us a church this year in 2017 that the best we know how, each individually, we'd be able to go into the arenas and the opportunities that you have for us to reach people who are far from you, people that we care about, and invite them a little bit closer to you, to investigate in their own space and their own time. Would you help us to be a people that just constantly invite, and, and maybe you don't have to win every argument, maybe we're confused too, but who could simply make that invite to say, well, just come and see. Just come and see. God, thank you that you have, throughout history, called the found people to go find people on your behalf. Would you help us to keep the legacy going as your church, as we remember that you found us first? Thank you for that.